Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the DraftKings studio here in Boston. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out here live Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, our YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Roku, and more. You can catch the best of Uh, Well, it looks Uh-oh. like... I you- think we just lost... We lost the Gojo part of Gojo and Golik on that one. We'll see when we get him back. As he said, uh, we have a great for, uh, show for you. Mina Hassan set to join us, uh, hopefully in a little bit here, and looking to hook up with Trey Smith, uh, two-time Super Bowl champ right guard for the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, been in the league a couple of years and got himself a couple of Super Bowl rings. So uh, pretty impressive. Obviously, it was a, a horrific a day on the parade that uh, he was involved in, in taking care of some kids as well. So we'll talk about that. But also, already uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, not the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year. So they get to play the underdog role again, as I think we have Gojo. Welcome we have Gojo back, back, Gojo. We have Gojo back, Mike. I explained who else is coming on the show. We have you back. Yeah, no, and I heard- we have Jesse leaving after this show. Yeah, my last show. Yeah, because uh, allegedly I'm going to have a baby soon. I say allegedly. <laughs> that's what you keep telling us. I think that's what nature would like yeah. to happen. And I think, Jesse, at this point, would anyone love that more than you? No, we're seven days out from my due date. Again, we've been over this a few times, but I was told this baby would come early, like egregiously early. And so I'm a little disappointed that I'm still pregnant. But yeah, my toddler's at home um, throwing up everywhere. So I'm my eye is like really red. Maybe that's pink eye. I don't know. So all of those things coming together, I can only assume that today will be the day. See, this is a good reminder that when everyone tell, when everyone hears that, Oh, pregnancy is this beautiful thing. And everyone tries it. Like, no, the pregnant women in your life are fighting a battle that you cannot possibly imagine. And Jesse is close to the finish line right now. Dad, you had a question. Yeah. Jesse, who, who told you, that the baby was going to come early. Did did the doctor actually say this to you? And if they did, why would they tell you that? So I just, it's probably like an old wives tale thing, but all my girlfriends who have had two babies were like, oh, your second one just flies out of your body. Oh my God, you gotta be ready like a a month before your due date. Like that thing's just gonna shoot out like a rocket. It's gonna be like, it's gonna be like (laughs) blue origin, just like And, So like all my girlfriends told me that I was three weeks early. I'm the second in my family. So everyone I've talked to was just like, oh man, your second comes super early. And they, I'd like to have another conversation with all those people because they're filthy liars. Okay. (laughs) See, this is in its own way, a different version of what happened on love is blind where Chelsea's friends all clearly to gas her up, told her that she looked like Megan Fox. And now it's the worst thing that's happened to her on national TV. Jesse's friends in an effort to assure her that, Oh, this won't last super long have now set her up for an excruciating final week here. Uh, Welcoming into this conversation, (laughs) our good friend, NBA (laughs) analyst and co-host of oddball (laughs) with Amin El Hassan is Amin El Hassan, who I've watched make faces in the zoom chat during this entire conversation i mean you are a father so i'm curious what all these faces have been about for you jesse to be clear your friends had you thinking that your kid would come out like one of those trapeze artists in a cannon coming out with the helmet yes just flying through the sky (laughs) yes stick the landing yeah and it's not true yeah and here we are seven days out from my due date nothing And that, kids, is how babies are born. Don't question it. Don't go to health class. That is exactly. It's P.T. Barnum and baby. uh, And that is how we begin today. 
Uh, I mean, this has got to be a nice respite considering the NBA world has just been like beating each other with sticks for the last couple. The NBA has a gap of like three days without basketball games in the middle of the season and all hell is break loose, broken loose. Have you been surprised by just how crazy the last couple of days of gossip have been for your league? Not not surprised because we are a gossipy league, but a, a little, you know, kind of taken aback by just how much content is generated by one man and one man only, and that's Doc Rivers. Now, Doc went on a tear All-Star weekend. He told different stories to different media people that were just so outlandish. He told Rachel Nichols of Bully Ball, which you can catch right here on DraftKings Network. He told her that the Bucks were the third team to court him this season. There were two other teams courting him, according to Doc Rivers. He told Frank Isola of SiriusXM NBA Radio that he tried to tell the Bucks ownership, why are you firing Adrian Griffin? He's doing a good job. And then he said, can I start after the All-Star break? <laughs> and then he told other media people, yeah, like this is the worst part of the season for the Bucks. I should have started right. It was so bizarre that he would just unload the way he did. And then, of course, J.J. Redick, I, I could – you could sense someone just sitting there holding something inside and saying, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. And then by like the fifth thing, it's like, I can't stay quiet anymore. And then you get the backlash to JJ Reddick. And then you get the backlash to the backlash. It's really it's amazing. Just one man was responsible for all this. It, it, it is incredible. I mean, do you, do you give any validity to what JJ Reddick said? I, I had said, well, let's wait for other former players or other people involved in basketball see if they come out and maybe confirm what J.J. Redick has said. So in, in your eyes, was J.J. on target with anything he was saying? There's two ways to look at it. One is, is obviously um, the guys that played for him, like you said. I got to give them more kind of weight because they played for him. They know, right? So J.J., he's not the only one, by the way, who's been critical of Doc. In the past, I know Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson have been critical. I mean, there's a lot of guys on the record who have played for Doc Rivers are like, you know, he's a, a you know, a, just a guy who has this kind of reputation. And then there are other guys who will swear by him. And you know, obviously Austin Rivers, one would one would hope, right? <laughs> but then also <laughs> Pat Beverly, Kenneth Perkins. I'm sure Paul Pierce, who's coming on Levitard show with us today, I'm I'm sure Paul and KG are guys that are going to stick up. So it, it, it kind of balances out. The other way to look at it is J.J. Reddick didn't say Doc's a bad coach. He didn't say Doc's a, a bad person. He said Doc's a guy who shirks responsibility and comes up with a lot of excuses and doesn't take the fall, basically. And then I don't think that in and of itself is a – is a, a commentary on his coaching. He's the top 15 coach of all time for crying out loud. So it's interesting. All the people who are jumping up and defending Doc are doing it by attacking JJ, attacking his career, attacking who he was as a player, as opposed to addressing what he said. Yeah. I usually think that defense is pretty telling when it comes up. And so uh, I think mercifully we'll get games back tonight. And so a lot of this will wash away until we get to one of the two bucks games. That's going to be on EB, uh, ESPN or ABC airwaves this weekend and see if they'll put <laughs> JJ Redick and the a crew on one of those to really give us what we all want. But uh, uh, I mean, before we get to the, the second portion of the season, I don't say half cause we know it's not split that way. Uh, a lot did get made of the all-star game this last, last weekend. I know you and Charlotte talked about it. We talked about it with her yesterday. How big of a priority should this be for the NBA to do something about the current status of the all-star game? Is this something that should matter to them an awful lot? It, it matters, Gojo, because this isn't just like some little exhibition game that you play and we're done, right? There's a lot of money riding on this, right? TNT, Turner, Warner Brothers Discovery, whatever the company is called now, when they pay for stuff, like when they pay, hey, we're going to cover the NBA. Cool. All right. They pay different amounts for different things. They pay a, an amount for these games on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And they pay another amount for having the playoffs and the conference finals every year. And they pay another amount for the MLK Day game and another amount for opening night. And they pay a large amount of money 
for All-Star Weekend, for exclusivity, for, for them to be able to tell Disney and ESPN, hey, you get the celebrity game with all the clowns and stuff. We get the real stuff that everyone comes to All-Star Weekend for. And if you say, hey, okay, I'm going to charge you a lot for this thing, and then our delivery is a bunch of guys playing more clownishly than the clowns at the celebrity game. And sorry, celebrities, I'm just using clowns figuratively here as funny people are trying to make us laugh. But when the Sunday game looks less competitive than the celebrity game, Turner or whoever is bidding on this, this also, we can turn on, what am I paying for? What am I paying for? Just to see them jog lightly up and down the floor. So absolutely, this is important, not only for the league, but also for the players, because when you look at where maximum salaries come from, where the salary cap comes from, it's all derivative off of BRI, which is all derivative off of all the money we make. And the biggest chunk of money we make is from national TV deals. And so if those deals become less valuable because you think it's a goof off, then you players also feel the sting later on. So uh, the the Latin, you know, we want to move on to basketball. This this is is something that, unfortunately, unless they change it, is not going to get solved because players aren't all of a sudden going to care about the game. But you talked about TV ratings, and I said this about the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl was awful, and it's still rated on TV. This year's NBA All-Star Game, 14% increase in viewership and also a 20% increase of 11 million people in unique viewers. So the ratings went up. So at, at, at the end of the day, I mean, what you're talking about, it's about t- what is the TV paying for? They got a product that was better than last year's product of people watching. Uh, uh, Mike, you're right, except there's one little part of that that they leave out. And this is my favorite thing about ratings. Ratings is like the, the, the politicians when they run and they do the campaign speech, there's spin everywhere. With, oh, this is doing so well, and it's pulling in. Yes, we're up 14% from last year. Look at what the numbers are from two years ago. They're down from two years ago. Why are they down from two years but up from last year? Very simply. Last year, there's this guy who didn't play. His name is uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Curry. That's right. Oh, and then this year he does play. And so, yes, there is a bump from having everyone available. But if you compare it to when the last time everyone was available or all the important people are available, it's down. And it's been going down for years. So any slight uptick that we got this year is not because people are really into the All-Star game and they enjoyed that. It's because they turned on the TV and said, oh, Steph is playing now, as opposed to last year. Where it was like, he's not on, turn it off. It's a, a, like, like you said, this is something that could go round and round. We had a lot of inside baseball media conversation go on the last couple of days. So we'll mercifully move back to basketball coming up tonight. And I mean, I'm fascinated by the Western conference right now. We've got this sort of grouping of four teams atop the conference that have really been there for a lion's share of the year. I'm curious in your mind, is there someone, a clear cut favorite separate from record based on play and what you see this last stretch of the season that you would be most willing to bank on? Oh, this is this is a hard, look. This is going to be one of the most competitive runs that we're going to see in NBA playoff history because all of these teams are good, and all of these teams have flaws. So when you get to a situation like that, you always default back to the champs, the Denver Nuggets. They're cruising. They're not. I don't think they're going at ten right now. I think they're going at a strong seven. They're, they know what they're about. They know what they need to do when they get to the playoffs. Now, we have questions because they lost a lot of vets, and they're relying on guys like Peyton Watson and, and Christian Brown and, and guys like that to take a step forward. They've done that so far this season, but when we get to the playoffs, are they going to be able to keep it up when it gets, uh, it gets a little bit more crucial? I think, like in the West, it would be the Denver Nuggets. In the East, man, I can't believe I'm saying this. Those Knicks are good, man. They're good, and they're deep. And if they're healthy, I, I like. I'm not saying I think they're going to win it. I'm just saying, you know, this is this is a tough team, a lot tougher than people give credit to because of their past history. Of the of the couple of teams that were 
maybe surprise or up near the top like a Minnesota or Oklahoma City or a Cleveland mm-hmm. in the second slot in the East. Which of those teams in your mind has the best chance to go the deepest in a playoff run? Yeah, in the West, uh, Mike, I'm going to tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a, a stinky problem, right? Like Minnesota, Oklahoma City, <laughs> congratulations. After years of being bad, you guys get to be the one and the two seed. How awesome is that? Yeah, we're, we're the best in the West. Yeah, okay. Here's the bad news. You're probably either going to play the Warriors or like the Kings or the Lakers or, or it's this mutant team from the play-in that should not be a seven or eight or Dallas or one of those teams. Like these are all teams that are really freaking good with the exception of the Kings. These are all teams that have gone deep in the playoffs very recently. So you're going to get to play against a very deep experienced team that's like, oh, all we've been waiting for is April, May, and June. And for young teams, I don't, I don't know if this is the case in football, but in basketball, more than anything, if the talent isn't overwhelmingly in an advantage, experience beats out youth. The first time at the rodeo thing does not work in the NBA playoffs because the, the players aren't accustomed to the intensity. They're not accustomed to the attention to detail. They're not accustomed to the opponent being on a higher level than they've ever seen them before. And so there is a shell shock that happens there. So of those three teams, I'm going to say Cleveland because they have vets, because they're not going to be playing against some mutant team from the underworld. So with that in mind, I know it's the, I think laziest, and you, I shouldn't say laziest. It's the most simple analysis in the world where you look at them, the Clippers in the West and go, all right. So really it's just, if they can stay healthy I mean, does that look like a team that can absolutely lift the Larry O'Brien then? They've been the best team uh, in the league basically since December 1st. If you look at it, people say, well, it's the Clippers. They'll clip it up. But the reality is this whole time since 2019, since this Paul George, Kawhi Leonard thing happened, they've rarely had those guys healthy together at the same time. They did the first year and they were playing really well. Then we got the lockout, excuse me, the COVID break. And then they came back in the bubble and the bubble is a bubble, but I'm not making excuses. They blew a three, one lead. They were still good enough to get a three, one lead in the conference semifinals. So that was great. And then since then, Kawhi's hurt. Paul's hurt. Kawhi and Paul are both hurt. You got all this coming. Now everybody's healthy and they're deep. They're deep at the center position. They got three guys who I think could start on a lot of teams in the league and Mason Plumlee, Daniel Tice and Avita Zubac. So uh, that you got, Howell coming off the bench. You got Harden, Russell Westbrook coming off the bench. This team is incredibly deep and well-prepared for a deep playoff run. The only thing I think that can stop them in the West is Jokic because he's just better than anything they've got. We get get to uh, have Steph and LeBron play again. Are we looking at the last uh, LeBron I know he's got an op player option next year, but mm-hmm. his time with uh, the Lakers. And also, is this the last year of that core with the Warriors? Yeah, for LeBron, I, I've given up on trying to predict what that guy's going to do. He's so fluid. <laughs> we might see him. We might see him anywhere. I, 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 it's the last time we'll see him play. I say no, of course. I think he's and he's great enough that if you give him the right supporting talent, I think he's he can be just as impactful as ever. Steph Curry. That core, I, I think there's going to go some changes. I don't know what's going to happen with Clay Thompson. He's a free agent. They tried to sign him an extension. He turned it down. He hasn't had the best season. So there is a question as to how good the Warriors can be if they cling on to Clay and Draymond alongside of Steph. And maybe deals are going to have to be made. I mean, only about 30 seconds left here. We forgot to ask this when we talked about Doc. Are the Bucks actually going to figure this out in the last stretch of the season, do you think? Well, uh, I would answer, but I'll just let Doc answer, and I'll say, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It could be anything. We, we all got to come together. All I know is it's not my fault. I just got here. These problems, they, they were already here. I just got here, but well, I'll, try, I'll do my best. But, hey, just know that this team was already screwed before I got here. Well done. <laughs> you heard it from the man that, that himself, is, Doc Rivers. That is, that you can is. catch co-hosting Oddball with Amin El Hassan and Charlotte Wilder. Amin, we appreciate the time today, man. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks a lot, guys.
That was good. That was a good. Impression Incredible right Doc there. Rivers impression. Yeah. Amin also has my yeah, favorite bit from back in the day at ESPN with his flow chart of who plays for Doc Rivers teams being either people that played for him before, people that performed well against him in the postseason, or people that played in his driveway growing up who also happen to be blood relatives of him. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Justin Fields has been in the news lately, mainly due to, what else, his social media antics. Lucky for us, he joined the 33rd Team podcast hosted by the St. Brown Brothers, to talk about a number of things, okay, including the social media controversy of him unfollowing the Bears on Instagram, and he had a very colorful way of describing the situation. I still mess with the Bears. Isn't that? I'm just trying to take a little break. I, I'm following the Bears and the NFL, bro. I'm not just trying to have football on my timeline. Like, mm. I know y'all mess with a girl, EQ, especially you. Just because you don't follow the girl on IG don't mean you're not messing with them. That's true. That's true. That's fast. That's fast. Okay, so everyone is speculating uh, that he's not going to be back in Chicago because he unfollowed the Bears on Instagram. Now, according to the latest odds on the DK Sportsbook, Falcons are the favorite to have Fields under center next season. They're at minus 130. Bears are in second at plus 200. So on the pod, right, Fields is like, I'm not trying to have football on my timeline. I'm taking a break from social media. But then he also followed Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson on social media this week. So take that <laughs> statement for what it's worth. Uh, so, once the social So wait a minute. He yeah. unfollowed his girlfriend and then started following a bunch yeah. of new girls IG in models. this analogy. Do I have yeah. that right? He unfollowed yeah. his girlfriend yeah. and then he started following a bunch of IG models on Instagram. Okay? So yeah, he, he want yeah. Yeah. He, he wanted to take a break from football because that's not the only thing in his life, but he followed three football players. Yeah. On Atlanta. Yeah. And, okay. And they straight so after that social media stuff was out of the way, they straight up asked him if he wanted to stay in Chicago. Of course. Of course I want to stay. Um to be honest, bro, I'll be trying to like, you know, with all the talk, it's it's hard to, you know, guess kind of just boom being one place but I can't see myself playing in another place but I know how that league is like EQ you was probably the same way uh before you left Green Bay but I mean if it was up to me I would want to stay in Chicago I love right. the city the city's lit the the fans there you know they're great mm -hmm. and the people but um it's a business I ain't got no control over it so whatever right. happens happens but I feel like the biggest thing with all this going on right now I just wanted to be over like just let me know if I'm getting traded. Let me know if I'm staying. It's an act. Gojo, you were on Twitter saying that this is going to kick off the unfollow your girlfriend on Instagram challenge. I mean, when you see Adam Schefter quote tweeting this with the panel graphic of that quote, acting like this, I'm like, we really are in the middle of the offseason right now. And this is one of those things, too. I know exactly where Justin's been. 
Pablo Torre calls this the jump pass, where you start a statement and you don't really know where it's going to end and you just go. Because let me just stare directly into the camera. I'm not a man with a ton of great successful relationship experience, but I can tell you one thing, fellas, not sound advice. Not sound advice, especially if you are already following her and then you decide, oh, you know what? I, I don't want to deal with this right now. We're still cool, but no, that ain't going to work. It's not going to go well for you. No parts of that is sound legal advice from Justin Fields, so I would take that for what it's worth, put it off to the side, and just say one man made a mistake when he was talking to his friends on a podcast, and that is what it is. Dad, thank God you never had to deal with this kind oh. of stuff in relationship oh, politics. God. Oh, God. You're not kidding. Talk about, I, I mean, he... Unfortunately for Justin, he just contradicts himself. I mean, and, and, and when you do that, this publicly, it's just out there for everybody to see whether you're saying it or whether your actions show it, because he's not the first or the last uh, that, that unfollows his team. All of a sudden, they're scrubbed from your timeline. You know, so players know exactly what they're doing when they make this stuff public. But then to sit there and say, I need a break from social media and I'm more than football, but then to follow the players on the Falcons, I mean, you just, you're just telling on yourself. I mean, you, you just really are. I, so I, I, you, and Mike, what you, the truest thing you said there is, thank God I didn't have to deal with any of this stuff because I'm, I'm getting tired just listening to this last three minutes of conversation. Yeah. Now, what I will say is, it's a good reminder in the midst of all this conversation because this has been a story because this is what we do. We mine social media in the offseason and we wait for players to do this. We called this out last week. We knew this was coming. That being said, Justin Fields, as he pointed out, is not in control of any of this. Justin Fields has no play in this. This is the Bears' decision about his future. So he is not someone that's calling the shots right here. And him doing this isn't some indication that him and his agent are pushing for anything like He's along for the ride right now, Dad, and I think people do need to remember that as this comes up because these are the kind of things right. that all of a sudden start to get a lot of anti-player animosity going. Is part as of he it said, a bargaining the, the thing, though, guys? Like, is part of this him trying to, like, uh, get, the, get the girl's attention? He's trying to get the bear's attention by doing this a little bit? Like... No, he, I, I don't think so. He has, like Mike said, he has zero power in this, zero say, zero anything. The Bears and, and any organization, especially if a player, and we don't get that in the NFL, has, doesn't have an, a no-trade clause. So basically the team, all, and the team always should do what's right for the team. The player, you know, through free agency now with, with what we have in sports, always should try and do right by them, and teams should try and do right by the team. So... He has no say in this. He, he, even if he says, hey, can you try and make it Atlanta if he wants to go there? He has no say because Chicago is going to look for the best deal. And quite honestly, Mike, they could pull off a twofer. If they don't think Caleb Williams is the top quarterback on their list and they have Drake May or Jaden Daniels grade right there and Washington wants Caleb Williams, they could literally get a package to move back one spot and they could get a package, obviously, to trade Justin Fields as well. They could really pull some assets out of this. So uh, uh, Field Yates and Courtney Cronin over at ESPN did an article talking about some of the assets available and packages for the number one pick that the Bears could potentially trade and for Justin Fields. And, Dad, they mentioned a number of teams in there, obviously Washington, New England, and Atlanta near the top of the draft are contenders to move up should they want to trade the pick. But uh, packages for Justin Fields, since he's the center of this conversation, Dad, they brought up the Falcons, the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, Dad. Compensation aside, which of those teams do you think would be the most interesting or best fit for Justin Fields? Oh, I, I do think Atlanta with that young core, Justin Fields, young player, the young core from a running back to tight end to wide receiver that they have. And I heard Justin Fields say they could probably use another wide receiver. And I think he's right there. I, I think that's an offense that would fit him extremely well. Just the Raiders, Luke Getze is the OC at the Raiders. Luke Getze was, yeah. am I correct there? Didn't he take that job there? He was the yes. OC in Chicago with Justin Fields, and we were all like, why isn't he using him differently? So I don't see that fit at all. So let's throw that one out. Uh, but of those teams, yes, I, I think Atlanta would be the best fit if they decide to go uh, outside the draft to get a quarterback. 
So I saw Field and Mina talking about this on the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny. And man, the Steelers are a really interesting one in here for a lot of reasons. And I think first and foremost is because you have the backstop of Mike Tomlin. Like Raheem Morris is going back for his next crack at being a head coach. So he's got to get this right. And the quarterback decision you make is going to be really vital. And there is still some risk baked in with Justin Fields for the Steelers. If you're looking for competition for Kenny Pickett, who they still have some loyalty to as their former first round pick with incredible upside around a group that Towards the end of last season, we saw some of the weapons starting to bear fruit. You've got a backfield that, man, with Justin Fields as a compliment would be pretty incredible. That wide receiver group, when motivated, has been pretty potent and has some playmakers in George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. And so if you throw Justin Fields in the mix as an upside play that's not going to be do or die for this team, you'd have a couple years of control, as people have pointed out, because you could pick up Justin Fields' option. I do think that would be an interesting option for the Pittsburgh Steelers at this point, Dad, given where they are still trying to negotiate the dismount from the Ben Roethlisberger era. So you had Pittsburgh at 10 and 7, you had Atlanta at 7 and 10. So by record, would you say Pittsburgh is closer, even though they're in that division with Baltimore and Cleveland? If so, that's why I think, would you rather have Russell Wilson or Justin Fields in Pittsburgh? I would rather have, in my mind, Justin Fields because I'd take a little bit of the upside play and try and go forward there. I think Russell Wilson requires a very specific set of circumstances now to go out and be successful versus Justin Fields where, man, if you catch lightning in a bottle, you got a young guy that you can all of a sudden make your future plans around in a way that's a calculated risk that I think at this point, given the team and the coach, you can afford to take. Maybe I'm wrong and Mike Tomlin's seat is somehow hot, but I still refuse to believe that that's a real thing that they're gonna entertain in Pittsburgh. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Back to Gojo and Golig. It's time for three for Thursday. So three NFL stories that we need to talk about. So guys, Tyreek Hill is on vacation in Greece, no less. So I don't know why he's taking the time to talk about anything and just not just sitting on the beach. But he jumped on social media and addressed some people talking crazy about Dolphin football. So apparently he was upset with some fans saying that they should trade Jalen Waddle. So he said, my boy Waddle is the future. He's better than I was at this point in his career. And for people in this fan base to want to trade him is ludicrous. Then he followed it up with this one, which had some Miami fans pretty nervous here. He said, him and Tua was special before me and will be special after I leave. So... <laughs> Guys, it's why he's he's do you think he's had a few and then like I feel like if you're on vacation, someone should take your phone. You shouldn't be able to go onto social media and say anything. <laughs> well, to your to your point, this is a very like millennial and down problem where it's like you're on vacation. Like you don't need to engage in the discourse here during the offseason. But I just saw Micah Parsons having a debate with Stephen A. Smith the other day about Dak Prescott's place in the quarterback hierarchy. So they're just too content pilled at this point. But dad, to me, this is much ado about nothing. I think it's pointing out that like, hey, they had a life before me there because I believe they were both at Alabama at the same time on those same teams there. 
Jalen might have been on the younger side, but I think they had some crossover there. But regardless, had that relationship and just the point that these guys are younger. This seemed like a real like big bro moment where Tyreek Hill is the more established piece of this group is coming in and trying to gas up these guys who Jalen Waddle has had his name mentioned trade-wise here. Tua Tungavailoa is eligible for an extension. And so this just seemed like loving up his guys a lot less than it was any sort of signs of the apocalypse coming for this Dolphins roster. Tyreek Hill has been in the league eight years already. I mean, yeah. that really is somewhat amazing. And this would be, I think, the fourth for Waddles on the last year of his deal. So that's the other thing. You know, you got you're talking about money. You know, are you paying Tua? Are you waiting another year? You got to pay Tua. You're going to pay Waddle. He's making a million dollars this year, and they could redo or they could extend his deal if they want to because he's an eight million dollar cap hit. And then for Tyreek Hill, he still has three more years. You know, his cap hit is 31, 34, and 56. So we'll never make the last year of this thing. I don't know about the second last year either if they're going to redo it because they're going to have a money issue. So how do they deal with that? Waddle has been fantastic. Waddle, you know, Tyreek Hill is such that deep threat. But you look at Waddle's numbers, they're not far off what he's done early in his career. They're actually some are better than what Tyreek Hill has done early in his career. So it's a great one-two hit. You know, you start naming duos in the league as far as wide receiver, you're going to have to go, you know, you're going to have to work to find a better duo than this. But we know what it comes down to, Mike, the cap hits, the money you have to pay out, and can you keep everybody happy? Yeah, I, I think the things working against all free agent wide receivers is just how many good ones are coming out in the draft each and every year at a pretty high price. And right. Dan, I, I think ultimately when you look at this offense, yes, across their first 47 games of each of their career, Jalen Waddle edges Tyreek Hill in total receptions with 251 compared to 223. He has more receiving yards across that time as well. Hill has the edge in receiving touchdowns and yards per reception, but Jalen Waddle's been incredibly productive, but most people would probably point out it's been with Tyreek Hill on the field at the same time, by and right. large, what they've been able to do with Tyreek is still the more dynamic threat of that group. And so if you're the Dolphins doing future planning and you decide two is going to be your guy, it does complicate this a bit because you can get other players in the draft at this position, especially speaking of wide receivers, Jesse, let's get to our next uh, uh, little ish, uh, issue here, topic here with the Rams wide receiver duo out here getting after it this offseason. Yeah, number two in our three for three. Thursday. So we got Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup. They were seen working out together in this Instagram video posted by trainer Ryan Sorensen. I think we have the video. Never mind. Maybe we don't. Just kidding. Uh, we do not have the video, but they were working out. It looked really cool. They looked very athletic, as you can imagine. <laughs> so uh, these guys racked up over 2,000 yards between them last season. I mean, we know Cooper Cup was plagued by injury. He never really got right. He missed those first four games of the season uh, and then missed more time with injuries. Didn't look great. So, guys, if they're both healthy here, okay, where do these guys rank among your top receiver duos heading into next season? Wow. Dad, it's hard to not put this group, if not one, then at least one B. Like we talked about one of the pairings already, right? And Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill that are certainly in that group. But I went off the top of my head last night, and this is what I had in terms of other duos that would be involved in this conversation. And by the way, the NFC West has a lot of them. Because you look out there, you've got yes. Cooper Cup and yep. Puka Nakua, you've got Debo Samuel and yep. Brandon Ayuk, and you've got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Yep. And hell, you could even maybe yep. in the future throw JSN in there as well. The other ones outside of that division I'd look at, obviously, if he comes back, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans in Tampa Bay have been great. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, if that group remains intact. Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Uh, the, one, the two that I think is going to be talked about near the top, A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith. Tank Dell and Nico Collins in Houston. Or Keenan Allen and Mike Williams in the uh, for the Chargers, too. So, Dad, right. of that group, I really think the NFC West is kind of in their own, and then Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and probably that Eagles group would be that top five that I would have to bat around with here. If you ask me and pin me down, I would probably still say on their best day, A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith would be really hard to top, but I think a lot in that group are all vying for that spot. Yeah, I do too. I mean, if, if you pressed me, I would probably still lean to Waddle and, and uh, Tyreek Hill you know, as, as the best duo. But 
tough to go wrong with AJ and Devontae Smith. If if Cooper Cup gets healthy again, I mean, think about it, 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 how quickly do we do we kind of move on? And and I, we didn't really move on, but we had another shiny thing, right? I mean, Cooper was sure. down with the hamstring, and you're like, oh God, they're in trouble. And then Puka Nakua just out of his mind. So all of a sudden, you know, you you start to forget a little bit about what Cooper Cup did because Puka's setting all kind of rookie records and then cup comes back and you're thinking wow what a duo cup hurts his ankle so you have to wonder about you know that with cooper cup and the injuries going on because if they're both healthy they're definitely going to be in the conversation right because cup's already been there and now puka nakua let's see if he can follow up the sophomore season with what he did that did that freshman year but there are a you mentioned all of them with the duos and you mentioned it earlier as well there is a slew of top-level wide receivers coming into the NFL. It wasn't that long ago when rookie wide receivers or young wide receivers weren't making an impact right away in the NFL. Man, that's out the door. You got guys coming in the last handful of years coming into the league just absolutely setting the league on fire, right? And you got another group this year that are looking to do that as well. So that position, you sit there and talk about positions, what kind of shape they're in. And we always talk about the quarterback position, how many great quarterbacks out, out there, blah, blah, blah. The wide receiver position in the NFL in what is turned into a passing league uh, is really, really top notch right now. Yeah, wide receivers become the new running back where they used to be plug and play coming right yeah. into the league because of the nature of the position and the way that football's evolved at almost every level has gotten us to that point now. So I, I, I guess, yeah, I'd probably, I, and I feel like I'm being dismissive. You talk about recency bias of forgetting the season that T Higgins and Jamar Chase have put together, went together. And when Joe Burrow's healthy on the field, we were deprived of a whole season of this, this last year right, with injuries right. around that group. But on their best day, that's been one of the most potent receiver duos, but man, it's hard to get that 2022 Eagles season out of my head where they basically rewrote the record books. And that receiver tandem was a huge part of that. But I've let everyone know who will listen. I'm buying Ramstock next year. I understand they're dealing with the loss yeah. of D coordinator, the guy that everybody loved. I understand they got pieces. They still got to fill that offense should be a buzzsaw with these two healthy. And if they're not the best wide receiver do on the NFL, they're not getting out of the top three of those. That's for damn sure. So uh, that is three for Thursday. The other one we didn't get to, Amazon has paid $120 million for the rights to stream their first playoff game next year. So if you didn't like games being on Peacock and all these other streaming services this last year in the postseason, <laughs> my brothers and sisters in Christ, unfortunately, they don't care. They got the ratings they were looking for. They got the up and subscribers they were looking for. This train has left the station, and unfortunately, it's going to drag us all along with it. But coming up next, speaking of a train that keeps on going, the Notre Dame hate train yesterday refused to stop and made it all the way to the top of sports TV. Next. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. We need to address what happened yesterday on first take. So while addressing, you know, the new college football playoff format, Stephen A. Smith took some shots at our guys' alma mater. So with the five highest ranked conference champions receiving an automatic bid to the playoff, the new format obviously highlights the fact that Notre Dame remains independent. And it got Stephen A. Smith questioning their relevance as a college football program. You talk about you have no sympathy for Notre Dame. Why are they even relevant? Can somebody answer that question for me? The Notre Dame fighting Irish in college football has not won a championship since 1988. When they won in the Fiesta Bowl, I think it was against West Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, if my math is correct, that's 36 years without a national championship. I know they went to a national championship game. I remember when Brian Kelly was coaching them and he took them to the national championship game against Alabama. What happened in that game, Paul? <laughs> what happened in that game? They got bum rushed so badly. We, we don't. 
They, they got annihilated, okay? I, I mean, Brian Kelly was probably planning his exit from Notre Dame at that moment, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is an annihilation that took place. Fighting Irish is the Fighting Irish. I've been there. I, 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 it's a prestigious university. I get it. The Golics of the world and everybody love themselves from Notre Dame, and they should. Please don't get me wrong, but what the hell have they done? Well, the Golics Thanks. of the world are right here, and I'm assuming you have something to say about this. I mean, what I have to say is, Stephen A., we appreciate the checks in the mail. Next time, just mention the show's name, man. We appreciate the yeah. platforming there. But, uh, Dad, I'm not <laughs> surprised that the nation's number one generalist sports show <laughs> in a time where there's a lull in action in a lot of the sports they normally talk about would talk about Notre Dame's relevance while at the same time bringing them up on the biggest national generalist sports show in America. The irony and the beauty of that is absolute chef's kiss work from one of the best in the business. But yeah. dad, I, I don't know. We've, we've been through this argument so many times it feels like, and I've been yeah. amazed how renewed it's been in the last couple of days. Yeah. So, you know, listen, Stephen A's the, the, the biggest, you know, sports media guy out there. And he talked about it. And then you start hearing some other, you know, cockroaches, you know, running around on the floor. Stephen A's the top dog. Then you hear some other shows where, where the, I'll, I'll use the cockroaches for them starting to jump on what Stephen A said, because listen, Stephen A is, is the man right now and trying to give their theories of why Notre Dame isn't or <clears throat> why, why they're relevant now. Listen, oh, we, we can lay, lay down the stats if you want in the CFP era, which, what, started in 2014. They've had seven top 15 finishes, two playoff appearances in 10 years. They're one of only eight programs with multiple college football playoff appearances. And I, so those are stats. You want to sit there and meet him. I'm, I'm not going to get mad about what Stephen A. said. I'm, I'm glad he brought it you know, up again, because I, it just gives me a chance to say again, tell me why they're not relevant, okay? College football has included Notre Dame in everything. I don't know why people get upset at Notre Dame. As I said, Notre Dame didn't put themselves on any committees. Notre Dame didn't put themselves in a position of power and a seat at the table with the other Power Five commissioners. Notre Dame didn't do that. College football did that. The other schools did that. They obviously think Notre Dame is relevant. There's a Big Ten deal out there, TV deal, that can be changed if Notre Dame decides to join the Big Ten. Notre Dame didn't do that. The Big Ten did that, okay? Notre Dame is not holding a gun to anybody's head, gang. They haven't won since 88. You're right, they've been around since there, they've been somewhat close. And I got, and listen, Mike's and Jake's team, they got smoked. I get it. But look at, as I said, some of the semifinal games in college football, other teams have gotten smoked. But no, people only want to bring up Notre Dame getting smoked. And not when other teams get smoked. So go ahead. It, it doesn't make me mad anymore. I, you, you want to keep bringing up Notre Dame? That's why Notre Dame's relevant. Because you all keep bringing, and Stephen A., you're at the top of the mountain right now. And you brought Notre Dame up. So thank you for that. They are relevant because people like you keep asking, why are they relevant? And I keep telling you why they're relevant because college football continues to make them relevant and keep them involved to be relevant. And I'll say this one last thing. Sorry, Mike, to hog all the time. But if your school had a chance to have their own money and their own TV contract, do not lie to the camera and say they wouldn't take it. They would. Notre Dame is in that position. Why does NBC keep giving them money? I don't know. Ask NBC. They keep doing it. Notre Dame isn't holding a gun to their head either. They keep doing it. So why is Notre Dame relevant? Ask all the people and the entities that continue to keep Notre Dame at the top of mind and involved in all the major decisions. Ask them. Don't ask me. They're relevant because people feel something about them because they're different. And that perception that they're different makes other people feel like they're better. And that feeling like they think they're better is what drives all of this engagement. It's why Stephen A. brought it up on the show to begin with. My thing that I always want to bring up with everybody is, are we living in the past or not? Because that's the accusation that constantly gets lobbed at us as Notre Dame people is, 
we're living in the past. We want a draft of all these championships of the years past. Stephen A brings up 1988. Yes, Notre Dame has not won a championship since then, but they've won games since right. then. You mentioned the CFP era, 95 and 33 in that era. Since Brian Kelly's last five or so years, double-digit wins almost every season, including this most recent season here. I understand we're not drafting off. I'm not saying we're one of the elite programs in college football, one of the ones that's been in that upper crust that's run championships. We're not. That's not the place that Notre Dame is at right now. Nope. But they've won a bunch of games, and so when you take that history and a bunch of recent success, enough in the body of a given season, where all of a sudden we get this conversation about Notre Dame in a current year and what's everyone's default answer it's exactly what Stephen a went to well look at their record in big games over the last decade last time i checked i am not currently suiting up for this notre dame team last time i checked the other teams from this last decade none of those players are on the roster still the coach isn't even there still the whole staff damn near turned over and yet now the past is supposed to be relevant because oh they can't win the big game because of what these teams in years before did and it's some institutional problem so wait a minute do we get to draft off what happened in the past or do we not I just want you guys to tell me so I know how we're supposed to go about this argument. Because last I checked, in each season, we grade off what you do. And if Notre Dame wins double-digit games against what's usually, and I know you people all want to complain about the schedule, go and look every year at strength of schedule, strength of resume when all that stuff pops up near the top of the list. That's not me. That's facts. That's reality that you got to live with. And if they're winning double-digit games against that schedule each and every year, guess what's going to happen? They're going to get into a playoff that doesn't give them any preferential treatment because you know what else happens now? In this expanded playoff that's apparently jarred this loose for all you guys, Notre Dame is now no different than everybody else. There is going to be in a 12 or as we'll talk about, potentially 14-team playoff, bunch of teams that don't win their conference championship to get into this thing. Like Notre Dame, there's going to be a bunch of teams that are sitting home on conference championship weekend that are going to find their way into the dance, just like Notre Dame. Tell me where in there the Notre Dame clause that's in the bylaws gets them into this special place that no one else is getting because of their status. I'll wait because it doesn't exist now. You could say it's in the brains of these people because of the brand of the school. Tough. You know who else drafted? There's a bunch of teams in college football that haven't done nearly the winning Notre Dame has that still have the brand recognition that get them to this point. So again, just tell me if we're living in the past or if we're living in the now and then operate accordingly because it seems like a lot of selective hearing from a lot of people talking about this. Completely agree. And, and the last thing I would say to, to Stephen A., who again is at the top of the food chain here, so, Stephen A., you can get anybody on the program you want. Get the head of NBC on there and ask them why they're paying Notre Dame. Get, you know, and, and then in the ancillary mode, Peacock, on why they put a game on streaming. Get, the, uh, get all the commissioners uh, from the Power Four now and ask them why Notre Dame has a seat at the table. You have the power. Get all those commissioners on, Stephen A. Get on the presidents of the schools on why the Notre Dame president and AD have the power they have. Get all those people on, Stephen A. They will tell you why Notre Dame is still relevant. Forget that, Dad. You're missing the point here. Get us on there. Forget all that. Yes. I know J.J. Reddick's got his beef with first take. Listen, I'll come on there and play the game, baby. You come on there and play the game. Let's go and do the dance. Yes. Come on now. Forget <laughs> Pete Bavacqua, all those guys, Notre Dame's new athletic director, the heads of NBC. They're all great. We'll handle this one. They got more important stuff going on. Good point. You are right. I am with you 100%. Stephen A., let's go. Bring us on. <laughs>